Do you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankpitt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. Tenakwe, welcome to the Flowerhood Podcast. What does it take to put a successful business career on hold? Where do you find the courage to take the leap of faith, step into the unknown, leaving the city behind and heading out into the wild? I am so excited to introduce to you my guest. Her name is Nicole Saucier and she's from Worcester, Massachusetts in the US. Nicole has a career in financial services that includes 16 years in banking, working in New York for many years in private wealth management, and she's a former vice president of Bank of America Merrill Lynch in Boston, a position she held up until April 2019. She's a dog pooch lover. Note to myself to ask about Shih Tzu Instagram stars, Marta and Luna, <laughs> Bailey and Vingo. She's a Kiwi lover, a yoga teacher who brings a total person wellness and holistic approach to all parts of her life. So today I want to discover more about what she describes as a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yes, Nicole took that leap of faith, and I'm speaking with her only a couple of weeks into her return to the US from a 14-month sabbatical where she achieved a personal goal by hiking and camping in 23 national parks across three countries. Her last port of call was New Zealand, where our paths crossed. So what does it take to put a successful career on hold and step? into nature. As the Flowerhood podcast is all about our connection to nature, it's no wonder that I was intrigued and very keen to get Nicole on the podcast to share the story. So welcome, Nicole, to the Flowerhood podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you here. And before we dive in, to your sabbatical and your connection with nature, would you give us a little bit of background about perhaps where you were brought up, what your childhood was like, where you went to school? Sure. So I'm from central Massachusetts. It's about an hour from Boston and live in a pretty suburban slash city environment. And then I spent most of my, all of my adult years really living in large Northeast cities. So I was in Boston, New York City, and Philadelphia. So you keep hearing city from me. I was used to a very urban environment. And one of my requirements for living was you have to be able to walk to Starbucks. So this was the old me. (laughs) 
I can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then fast forward, I went through some major changes in my life. I started to realize I needed to connect back more with myself and what brought me joy. So I was making some changes. I found yoga, first of all, back in 2015. And that was life changing. I enjoyed the yoga teacher training so much that my goal was to not only be a student, but to teach yoga. From there, that brought me back to connecting with my breath. So when you think about yourself as a baby, babies breathe very deeply. When you look at a baby, you notice their breath across their whole body. But what happens as we get older is that we lose that breath. We start to breathe really shallow. We start to let fear take over our life. And I found myself in that trap. So yoga was the first thing that came into my life that could really help and bring me back to that breath connection. And were you doing the yoga while you were working? Were you training as a teacher at the same time as working? I was, yes. So not forgetting about the 16-year banking career, I was training on the weekends and then I would teach yoga on the weekends. So it was really my passion project to bring some fulfillment into my life. I loved my job. I loved traveling for work and I loved my colleagues. I just needed something more to bring that into my life. So that path led me into a connection with myself. So this whole sabbatical really started with love not to be cheesy, but it's true. It was first love for myself and finding happiness in life as an individual and a single person. And that led me into love with a Kiwi, a New Zealander who connected me to nature. So he, Carl, is the real reason for all of this. Wow. So were you in Boston when you met him or New York or how did you guys meet? What was a Kiwi doing over in the U.S.? (laughs) Yeah, so he was in the U.S. He had originally gone to school here. He got a scholarship for running. So he was really connected to breathing and athleticism and the body. And then we met through mutual friends. And then he was living in Philadelphia. I said, I'll move. I'm up for it. And I would say from there, that's when this whole idea started. So we were on a beach in New York on Long Island. I think there's some nice beaches. The one we were at was not nice whatsoever. (laughs) We were just killing some time. And he turned to me and he said, you know, this beach isn't that nice, but in New Zealand, there's really nice beaches. What do you think about maybe spending some time there? And I said, yes, sign me up. And I had no idea what I was signing up for, but I signed up. That's so great. So there you were, you sort of decided on that very initial idea that, you know, you were going to travel. And so how did it formulate that you ended up doing 26 national parks? Did the idea just get bigger and bigger? It did. It did. And also he had experience. So for anyone that's not from New Zealand, I'll explain a little bit what I learned about New Zealand culture. Nature is such a critical part of your life. Is that, would you say that's right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas my upbringing was, it wasn't as critical. It was just there, but he started hiking and about four years old with his family. And then they would go camping or tramping as soon as he was old enough to do that. 
So from a very young age, him and his family, he, had, he has three siblings, would do all kinds of outdoorsy stuff. So when I started hearing stories about the things that they did, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do that. But yeah, I'll try. Like canoeing down the Wanganui River for five days. I said, yes, I had never canoed in my life, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> Oh, look, that's just fantastic. And it's so true. Like my childhood was, you know, going out on these, our holidays, they were never to somewhere like Disneyland or anything like that. It was <laughs> out into the bush and we had a tent. There was always a big argument as to how to put the tent up. The, we had a little <laughs> Triumph Herald. There were six of us in a Triumph Herald squashed in. I was the youngest and I used to have to sit in the boot of the car by the chili bin that squeaked. And then we had these crazy homemade sleeping bags that my mum had sewn up, which you know, were just not that warm. I mean, I kind of think, oh, my God, like, what an amazing experience, though. And the places that we used to travel around New Zealand and were beautiful. Yeah. So I can really relate to Carl's upbringing there. That is so yeah. cool. So as a child, did you ever go tramping or trekking or things like that? No, no, no. So I was afraid. So my parents are in suburban slash city environment. I was afraid to go in the backyard at night because I thought something was going to get me. So when I met Carl and I signed up for this trip, I also agreed to go tramping and car camping for six months. And I'll start with this. I never camped and I never hiked in my life. I was athletic Yes, but I had never done these things. So I was so thankful that I agreed to do this with someone that had experience. <laughs> and so where did you start off? Did you start off in the States? Sure. Good question. So we had two months before his visa expired in the US. So we started in Philadelphia and we drove all the way across the country. So in two months, we were able to see quite a number of things. Our highlights were the Grand Canyon. We spent a lot of time in Utah. We went all the way to San Diego and then all the way up the West Coast into Canada. And then from there, we did four months across Canada. So basically, we made an entire circle across the two countries. Wow. And we basically lived out of our car for six months. And our numbers were... We hiked about 400 miles, which is about 640 kilometers. So that's a lot for someone that had never done that before. <laughs> so I got mountain legs is what they call them after that trip. <laughs> so tell me, what were some of the things that you feared before you went into that? Especially, oh. you know, because that amount of extreme exercise day after day you know, it's a, yeah. it's a lot, it's a big toll on your body. So what were some of the things you feared yeah. and what were some of the things that really surprised you that were actually easy? Yeah. So I would say, well, let me start with this. I knew that I could do this trip. I didn't know what I was actually doing, but I knew I could do it. And that's how I was, I was able to complete it. I found that my fears were something that I didn't even know were going to pop up. So I was afraid of edges. So as you can imagine at the Grand Canyon, there's no railings. I was afraid in Utah, there's no railings over these massive cliffs. And I found myself being fearful of things that were like that. Edges, difficult things, 
But then I also found a lot of courage within this trip. I found myself not only with the endurance, being able to do these things day after day after day. We did take breaks. I will admit that. We did have days off. We did go pretty hard consistently, though. And I found courage and determination to complete these trips. So I'll give you an example. I would say the Grand Canyon was probably one of the most challenging for us or for me. We specifically asked for a tramping trip or backcountry is what they call it in the U.S. So multiple day hike with everything that you have and need on your back. We said, can we have something that is remote where we're not going to see a lot of people? Yeah, we got that. (laughs) So we went down this one trail and it was basically a whole day hiking down, 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 down deep into the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We didn't see any people down at the bottom and we had the bottom to ourselves. So at the bottom, so you're coming through steep rock, really, really steep down past a desert bloom, actually. So we did, I know your love for flowers. We did get to see desert bloom, which is quite beautiful. So all the flowers were out. So that was quite a miracle, I think. And then when we got down to the bottom, we relaxed at the edge of the Colorado River that was just so cold and so crisp, and it was hot down there. So that's exactly what we needed. So we found some peace in the Colorado River. And then from there, we pitched our tent on this little hill, if you will, because it's free camping, so you could pick wherever you want as long as you were respectful for the land. And... As the sun was setting, the moon was coming up, and we were the only people down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And we knew we were the only people for miles and miles and kilometers and kilometers. And it was just the most awesome, peaceful feeling ever. We had worked really hard to get down to the bottom, but it was so worth it. The determination part and the courage came with the coming out. So when you come out, (laughs) you have to hike up which is unlike a mountain. Usually you get to do the easy work on the end. You have to do the hard work on the end of the Grand Canyon. So we made a mistake. Our food was eaten by an animal. We did leave our packs. So unfortunately we didn't have enough food for being able to continue the rest of the the nights that we were committed to. So we decided to walk out at night because it was going to be cooler. And again, we didn't have enough food. So (laughs) it was dark. It was pitch dark. And we knew there were edges all around us. We did have headlamps or torches. And we knew that there were mountain lions nearby. And we started to also see scorpions, which are dangerous, as were. (laughs) And we were just both so determined. And Carl just knew how to comfort me and help me get through this very difficult hike. My muscle in one of my legs had balled up, so it was really hard for me to walk. (laughs) But we made it. And as soon as we got out of there, I was so thankful. And I just saw the determination in myself for being able to complete that trip. But it was so worth it because, like I said, we were the only people down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. To witness that is unbelievable. That's amazing. (laughs) And I guess that's the real difference with, you know, New Zealand and the US is that you can go trekking here and there really isn't anything like snakes or 
Yeah. Well, there's Fair. like one poisonous spider in New Zealand. You hardly ever see it, <laughs> the catabolic. Yeah. You know, but it's just you've got all those other fears as well. So what kind of animal do you yeah. think ate your food? Uh, it was either birds or it was rodents of some kind. Mm. And we thought we had our stuff protected. We did research and we did have some protection. It just wasn't enough. They were pretty aggressive. And so they did get our food, but we learned from there. That was a, one of just the lessons that we learned and we didn't have that happen ever again, which is good. I've got to ask, going back to, you know, your fear of edges, because obviously going down into the Grand Canyon is like really confronting. <laughs> Where do you think that fear came from? Like that specific fear? Do you think it's to do with heights or? No, I'm not afraid of heights. That's the funny thing. I can see any heights. I think that it was just, my mind would get ahead of me. And when that would happen, there was a little technique that I used. And it's when you just ask yourself, is this a real fear? Is this based off of something? Or is this just a fabricated fear in my mind? I realized I was safe. So I would give myself some affirmations. I'm safe. You can do this. You are capable of this. I like that. I really like that technique of asking that, you know, empowering question. Is it true? Or is it right. just my fabrication? Yeah, that's yeah. really good. I can see how I could use that. Can you tell me a bit about like how you looked after yourself then going through these kind of physical endurances through your entire yeah. trip? Like, Did you find that you had to bring in new habits that you didn't have before? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, this is one of my biggest life lessons of myself that I learned so after this trip, because it was physically challenging, diet-wise, it was challenging. I typically eat a gluten-free vegan diet. And when you're on the road going through some towns, they don't have grocery stores that are stocked. So you're having to eat what's available. And also when you're in the middle of the wilderness, you're, we were carrying freeze-dried meals, which tend to be hard on the stomach. I also didn't have cell reception quite a bit. So talking to family members was challenging. So what I came up with was the recipe. So I think everyone has a recipe and you just have to get in touch with yourself. And mine was getting in touch with myself six months without <laughs> the necessary items, modern luxuries. So I realized my recipe was meditation. I have to meditate on a daily basis. Yoga has to be included I have to eat nourishing foods that make my body feel good. I have to work out. And the other one is, I don't know if it's just a woman thing, but beauty. So taking care of your hair, your skin, or your nails. Because when I was going through these trips, my hair, I didn't get a haircut. And I don't know about you, but when I get a haircut, I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> So it was little things like that, like the self-care that was really necessary. And I didn't have those items. And it was the first time in a long time that I didn't have all of the recipe to create this stable environment for myself. And so I realized how important it was. And did you find, you know, there were points where, where you did just it got too much for you and you felt overwhelmed and, you know, you have a bit of a hissy fit because, you know, oh, your nails are broken and your hair's yeah. like, and did Carl get the brunt of that at all? <laughs> of course. I remember one day I was, my pack was so heavy and I was tired and we were going up a mountain and I said, I don't want to walk anymore. 
And he just turned to me and was like, well, go back the other way or keep going. But I think you need to keep going. (laughs) So I really had no choice. And I was like, fine, I'll keep going. (laughs) That's the thing, because once you're committed, like, you know, you just have to go ahead. You have to go. Are you really going to turn around and leave? No, no. That's why, yeah, the tramping, the multi-day hikes were a commitment. Yeah, there was one point there where there there was flood water rushing down this hill or mountain rather. And the only option was to jump over it. And I'm about five feet tall. So my legs are pretty short. So Carl turned to me there and said, well, you either jump or you go the other way. And I just worked up the courage and I said, I'm going to do this. And I jumped over the flood water. And it was something that I just never thought capable, but it's like, I kept showing myself that I could do these challenging things. And that's another lesson I learned. I learned a lot from this trip, but when you show yourself, you can do something physically challenging. I find that you can do challenging things in every aspect of your life. Mm. So it's like, it makes it easier when you've already shown yourself how many things you can overcome. Mm. So it's really that repetition that Repetition is the mother of all skills, you know, as they say. So you're you're building that muscle and it's not just the physical muscle, you're building that mental muscle. Yeah, like, yes, you can do this. But, you know, you must have had that kind of determination in your life before because you worked your way up through the banking system. And I bet that wasn't an easy climb, a different climb from, you know, this physical thing, but, you know, not an easy climb and and in an environment that's not always positive. Do you kind of look and see parallels between your, you know, what you did mentally through your job and your career as to what you were able to do through the tramping and through the exploration of nature? Yeah, absolutely. And I already thought about my next chapter and how no matter what, I don't think anything will be as challenging as some of these physical things that I've done. And so it makes life a little bit easier. And I think that I always lived life where I needed a challenge and I needed to keep pushing for a challenge. Before I met Carl, I was living a life where I had lost the challenges. I had lost that drive. And that's why it was so important for me to make that connection back with myself and then find the right partner in my life. Because the right partner, someone that's caring and supportive and loving, can do so much for you. And so clearly, I would have never done this on my own. I'll admit that. And it was amazing having Carl by my side throughout this. You just found the right person, which is just so beautiful, heartfelt, and and lovely. Well, there were a lot of frogs beforehand, but <laughs> to get to the prince. <laughs> Frog cruising. Have you read Alison Armstrong's book, Keys to the Kingdom? Have you heard no. of that? Oh, it's, no, it's, it's like a great one on relationships, but there is a bit, and I think it's actually in her second book, she talks about how uh, women can often be frog farmers, We we start off as princes and then you turn them into frogs. (laughs) Kind of an interesting (laughs) concept. So it's actually quite worth reading. Anyway, (laughs) a little diverse bit off there. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to ask you about what were some of the things you really missed and possibly perhaps could you tell me a little bit about 
the shih tzus in your life? Because I've seen, I've seen some little stars of Instagram, some beautiful oh. little dogs. Are they your dogs? And did you leave them behind? Yes. So I'll start off with my mom is the Instagram celebrity. Somehow in retirement, she found Instagram and made her dog into someone that has 30,000 followers. I don't know who all these people are, but they're following her. And I do have two Shih Tzus. And that was one of the hardest decisions because pets in your life, I think, bring so much therapy. (laughs) They're therapeutic. They're unconditionally loving. And when you're going through hard times, they're the best thing to have around. So they were such a big part of my life before I met Carl. So they were like my babies. So putting them on hold was a big decision. That's why when I say this was a once in a life opportunity, it really was. And Carl said something to me that if you have a dog, maybe you'll understand. He said, if they could tell you what they thought about this, they would say, go for it, do it. Anyone would say, go for it, do it. So they did stay with my parents and they've been completely fine. So I did miss them a lot though. So what's your mom's handle for the Instagram account for her dogs? Bailey Bingo. Oh, I don't follow this as much. That's right. We'll we'll pop it into the show notes. (laughs) Because I just think that's lovely. And did your dogs, did they end up being on the Instagram as well? Yeah, they had little spurts of being in photos and potties is what they call them, P-A-W-T-Y, potty, Potty. instead of party. Yeah. And so so I guess those times that you were able to get online and stuff, you would like be checking in and that's that's really lovely. So you got to sort of see little bits about them and knowing that they're staying with your mum is always, always really nice. Now, when you came out to New Zealand, I noticed that you ended up spending some time at the um, SPCA. So was that at the end of your exploration of the New Zealand National Parks? Well, actually, when we were in New Zealand, we settled more into a typical life in New Zealand. So we were staying with his family members. And when I first got there, I was volunteering at the SPCA, so the animal shelter. I have such a strong connection to animals. And I felt like if I couldn't be with my Marta and my Luna, then I would give back to the animals locally. So I was cleaning dog cages. So not a pretty job by any means, but it did serve a great purpose because these animals did need clean homes. And then from there, I also found Uh, family members' livestock to fall in love with. So I have a goat fondly named Goaty that is Carl's mom's, and she comes when I call her. And then I was also a sheep nanny or a lamb nanny when I was there. So I was bottle feeding some lambs and just fell in love. Yeah. Oh, and there's little lambs out at the moment. I I drove down my road because I'm in a rural area and and I just saw a whole lot of little lambs playing yesterday. I was like, oh, oh, the lambs are all out. It's so cute. They're so sweet. So your time in New Zealand. So can you talk a bit about your experience of the nature in New Zealand and whether you found that different or what the similarities were to the nature that you experienced in in America and Canada? I think what I've been able to see is the beauty in each of the places that I've been and the uniqueness. And the thing that I really fell in love with in New Zealand were the birds. 
which I didn't necessarily know. Well, I knew that they had beautiful birds, but I didn't know I was going to take such a liking to them. So I got a bird book and I would check off who I saw and I started to recognize calls. And it was something that I had never, ever paid attention to, but just spending time, no matter where we were, whether it was in someone's backyard or out at the farm where they had a lot of land and I would hike around the land, I just started noticing the tuis. So if anyone is from New Zealand, you'll know what I mean by a tui bird. But if you are not from New Zealand, please look it up. It is the most beautiful sounding bird ever. The call is just incredible. I actually thought just I don't know if I'm crazy, but I thought one of I thought I heard one the other day here in the US and it was just a wind chime. <laughs> but I got excited because I, I know the sound and I was like, oh, am I back? Oh no, that was a wind chime. But someday. <laughs> and then did you also have the little fantails follow you? Oh, the fantails. Oh, I just I fell in love with those too because they're so playful. So there was when we did go on the Wanganui journey the five-day canoe ride down the river and stayed at the different campsites, we had a fantail that was doing tricks for us. And it was flipping over and spinning around and whizzing by us. And it was incredible. So fantails are the cutest little birds with their little chirp. And they're really hard to photograph, I find. (laughs) Every time you capture one, they just flit off again. So, um, yeah. Yeah. What I can do though is I'm just thinking about it because I was up in um in Hamner Springs this past weekend and there was just the most beautiful tui singing away in the bush and I took a recording of it. So what I might actually do is I might see if the um, sound engineer can put it onto the end of the podcast so that people can hear the tui because it was just beautiful. It's the clearest notes individual notes and they're very clever birds and in the city what can happen is they can actually mimic cell phone calls no you know ring ringtones and things yeah Yeah. so there was a while where they were really disturbed by the fact that the tuis were changing their natural sounds and starting to also make the sound of car alarms oh no isn't that just (laughs) just awful i don't want to bring you down Yeah, I think it would be amazing for people to hear that because to me, it sounds almost like an electronic sound. It's just the most unique, beautiful sound I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, it's really gorgeous. So you had this time in New Zealand. With it, Did you do any of the tramps around New Zealand? Yes, we did Tongarero. So the Tongarero crossing. Beautiful. Yes, oh, actually the circuit. So we did spend okay. a couple nights up there. Yeah, and that was incredible. And we did a couple other local hikes. So I was based in Wanganui. We would also uh, take walks around the farm. So while granted, it's still a property, it was still bringing me into nature because from the farm, you can see Mount Ruapehu as well as Mount Taranaki. So it was pretty cool because in the distance, I saw the snow-capped mountains and that just brought me so much joy. And if you can only imagine what the sunsets and the sunrises were like. So as I was preparing dinner, I would see the sun setting and then in one direction and then Mount Mount Ruapehu in the other direction. So it was quite beautiful. Mm. You know, I found that when I left 
the city and then came and lived in a rural area. It actually took me over a year to really kind of get into the groove of nature. I mean, there were things that I loved and it's that whole thing of slowing down your life. Did you find that, that, you know, the pace of a city is just so different. The pace of of living in nature is, uh, there's something really kind of heartfelt about sort of knowing the season and being really in touch with what season it is. Did you find that just being on the farm, living on the farm? Yeah, I would agree. And so my transition happened before that, when we were doing all the hiking and everything in the US. So we went from busy life, living in Philadelphia to all of a sudden, I don't have a job and I'm hiking for a living basically. And so things did slow down quite a bit. So by the time I got to the farm, I fully embraced it. So I was someone that always had to wear fancy clothes and dresses and high heels. And then I embraced putting on gumboots and working with the sheep, not knowing what was going to be on me at the end of the day. (laughs) And that was totally cool. And yeah, life went slower and I really loved it. I never thought that I would be in that place. I thought that was retirement. Now that I've experienced it, I find ways to incorporate that into everyday life. So it might be sneaky little ways of just taking things a little slower or not using as much water, for example, just being a little more respectful of our natural resources. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I found ways to bring that into my world, even though now I'm back in a more busy environment. That's really beautiful. And that brings you all the way back around to, you know, the fact that when you found yoga originally, it's about balance. Mm -hmm. And then now you really are looking at the sort of the whole holistic person, the whole person finding that balance again and bringing Mm -hmm. it in. Because it's not that we necessarily all need to live in the countryside. (laughs) In fact, if we did that, it would end up being a city. (laughs) It's the the thing of of taking those things from nature and integrating them into your life. So where do you think you're going to go from here? Where is the next yeah. step for you, Nicole? Yeah, I still have more corporate America in me, to be honest. And I'm okay with that. Like I said, now I have little changes in my life that I know how to take care of myself better. So when life does get busy again, I know where I can, things I can fall back on. And nature is definitely a big part of my life. So taking walks or potentially living near somewhere that has mountains or ocean or something close by so that I can enjoy that. I do see myself returning to New Zealand in the future. Spending time on the farm sparked an interest in me I never knew was there. I am obsessed with sheep, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I love all things sheep. So someday, and I also started growing my own vegetables in New Zealand, which was such a fulfilling project, not just nutritionally, but also to see something grow. And I'm sure you can appreciate that with your avocados. Microgreens, they took three days to grow and it was just so satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that you can take anywhere where you live even if you've got like an inner city apartment you can grow herbs microgreens everything like that exactly 
Well, I am really excited to see where you go because I do have a firm belief that when you take the corporate America, as you call it, and you combine it (laughs) with this understanding you have of yourself and of nature, like, gosh, just think what you're going to create next in your life. It's going to be amazing. So, Nicole, is there anything else you would like to share with us or any final thoughts that you have? Yeah, I would say embrace change in your life. When you are open to different ideas, try new things and not so much attached to the identity of yourself, you will find things that you never knew bring you joy. So that's the advice I would give. That's very, very beautiful. So I will put um, in the show notes where people can get in touch with you. And um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. It's just been such a pleasure. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again because I want to know what happens in the next chapter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favourite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, hey, why not stop and smell the roses?